Hello, everyone, and welcome to High Performance Pathways. This is your episode number five, and I'm your host, Court Whitman. Today's podcast is sponsored by the Notecast app. Use the Notecast app to save snippets of podcasts as digital notes so you never forget all those ideas, thoughts, or aha moments that come when listening to a podcast like this. Download Notecast in the Apple Store or Google Play. And today's episode is brought to you by me and my leadership coaching and consulting company, Court Whitman, Inspiring High Performance. If you enjoy this podcast, please explore more about me and my company at courtwhitman.com. So for all those new listeners out there, High Performance Pathways is a purpose-built and specially selected collection of someone's experience as they discuss how they understand, discover, and chase high performance in their life. This content is collected during a one-on-one interview and then shared with you. Why? Because I believe deeply that everyone has a different path to high performance. And hearing about the paths that other professionals have journeyed along is informative and inspiring. During each episode of High Performance Pathways, it is my intent to do five things for you. Number one, connect. Connect you to someone else to build relationships. Number two, question to understand. Number three, share to raise perspective. Number four, teach to increase competence. And number five, inspire. Inspire to trigger your own growth. One additional note to cover as you continue listening. This podcast is raw, meaning there is no post-production editing. We record live and deliver to you exactly as it was recorded. Friends, my guest today is Ralph Plaskett. Ralph is an author, a coach, and a father. He is the founder of the Plaskett Institute, a professional coaching and consultancy firm dedicated to the research, education, and facilitation of human transformation. For well over a decade, Ralph has advised, coached, and consulted senior executives, military general officers, and a number of small business owners. He's a graduate of the George Mason University International Coach Federation Certificate Program entitled Leadership Coaching for Organizational Well-Being. And he has spent decades cultivating his study of human development. And he's a friend. So, Ralph, hey, thank you so much for checking in with us today to share your perspectives on high performance. Hey, Court, thanks for the invitation. Man, that was an awesome introduction. Um, uh, you know, I'm super excited to be here uh, today and talk about uh, what we have going on. So um, let's get at it. I, I'm fantastic and, and excited. Hey, I love it, man. Hey, it's purpose-built, brother. You were specially selected to be here with us, so we thank you for carving out the time. Ralph, I, I want to begin up front with just a discussion about your book, and that book's called Deepening Growth. I'm incredibly, first of all, um, I admire you for taking this step. Um, I remember a point in my life when I made a commitment to some folks to write, and I have not gotten to a point where I have put a book together. Um, but I've done a couple articles, and that work is hard. It's hard work to put yourself out there in the written word. So first of all, hey, man, congratulations. But I'm really curious, and I'd love for you to share with our listeners where do you draw that inspiration to write this book? And what is the book Deepening Growth about? Thanks, Court. Uh, 
You know, I, I have a fascination with books, something about the paper, the pages, you know, rolling it open. Um, so I have a real fascination with books and, and that resulted in my desire to wanting to create a book. But in, in all reality, you know, I had no intention whatsoever to write this book, Deepen and Growth. Um, it really came out of an outgrowth of a transformative experience that I had of my own um, and the lessons that uh, kind of ensued throughout that, uh, that transformative experience. So what you'll find in Deepening Growth, Powerful Lessons in Cultivating Your Own Personal Transformation is really my experience um, throughout uh, the lessons that I learned throughout my transformative experience, as well as those of my clients that I've worked with, um, their, the lessons that they've learned throughout their transformative experience. So in it, I have uh, about 20 some odd lessons in it where we walk through some really um, foundational uh, personal development uh, lessons that are keen on um, in supporting someone throughout a, a, transform a transformative experience, as well as, you know, just everyday development uh, of an individual, both on a personal level, as well as a professional level. So in the, in the pages, you, you definitely get a sense of who I am and, and what I'm about um, in that book, um, as well as my experience and the experience of my clients. So it's really one of those deeply reflective texts. Um, in fact, I say that in the introduction, it's one of those deeply reflective texts because each of the chapters are short and they're intended to be short um, as not to, you know, fill it with a bunch of fillers, but to give you the meat of the lesson um, so that you can activate it in your life as quickly as possible so that you can reflect on it in your life as quickly as possible so that you can make action of this material as quickly as possible and in hopes uh, to trigger your own transformation um, experience. Hey Amen. It sounds incredible. And I think what I'm just thinking of as, as I sit there and resonate and, and marinate a little bit on what you're saying is, you know, I think people can really get behind this idea that, uh, that we're kind of always growing. Um, and I would say that I don't know that I was particularly mindful of it though in, in my earlier years in life, but I've very much settled into it now. And for me, uh, you know, I believe that, that life is just an ongoing constant state of transition. There's these continuous transition moments that show up. And it's in a lot of cases where I've had a, a tremendous failure that I've forced the reflection. I don't know that I've always forced the reflection when I've had success. So, you know, that's the meaning I'm making from it. And because of that, I've spent and tried to work really hard in developing my own self-awareness and, in your words, deepening my, my opportunity to grow. Because I think when we can do that, we can perform at a higher level in our life. So I'm just going to encourage anybody and everyone listening to check that book out and, and explore those lessons that Ralph offers up. Um, all right, man, let's talk now about your company, Ralph, for a moment, the Plaskett Institute. What's the mission for your company and how do you serve others? Sure, Court. Yeah, so the, uh, the Plaskett Institute is really an outgrowth of that experience that we just talked about, right? Um, I'm, I'm a super nerd as it comes to transformative experiences for one reason, right? So the mission of the company is to make transformative experiences as common of an experience as falling in love, for example. 
right? So you just talked and described how, uh, you know, growth, we're always in a constant state of growth and development, um, but it, it often happens by happenstance until we become intentional. So the, the goal of the company is to make intentional transformation uh, to occur and put, put uh, individuals in that, uh, in that experience, in that environment, in those conditions that, uh, that causes intentional uh, transformation or, or has the opportunity for transformation to be invited in those experiences. So I, I'm all about, and the company is all about, uh, fostering more transformative experiences for one reason and one reason only. Transformation experiences ultimately cause a person to be more open, more inclusive, more reflective, right? It, it puts us on a path to realizing and understanding our fullest potential. And when we're able to do that, right, we're creating a world that, is, that has those, those characteristics, open, more inclusive, more reflective. And certainly if, if we had more of that in our society, um, we would have different types of conversations, right? We wouldn't have conversations of, of contention. We wouldn't have conversations, or as many, conversations of, um, of a conflict. Rather, we'll have more of an understanding and a depth of each other, right? So, you know, in my small part of the world, if you would, I'm looking to foster more of those type of experiences that causes those characteristics to come up in individuals and therefore create and with hopes create a society um, that has more of these experiences intentionally um, so that we can reap the benefits of those experiences. Wonderful, man. Incredibly well said. And I think I have a lot of alignment with you and how impactful the exploration of transformation can be for life in general. But, but you know, I'm really curious, you know, you've said this word a lot. I think you use it in your mission statement. What you're trying to do here is have uh, to initiate or to have intentional transformation to occur. And so really, what is a transformational experience? Because when I'm just reflecting on this, I'm thinking, okay, all right, Court, let's think for a second. Um, when I became a teenager, I guess that's probably uh, a transformational point in my life. When I, you know, graduated high school, uh, the first time I left the home, uh, when I got my first job, uh, you know, when I went to war, right, for me, of course, you know, when I got married, when I had a kid, I mean, there's all of these things that, uh, that I believe, as I try to make meaning in that word, transformational experiences that I take away. And I'm just curious, am I accurately defining that, Ralph, or am I missing something there, in your opinion? Certainly, Court. So, you know, one of my answers to that would be a yes and, right? So transformation is a complex subject with layers of meaning. Right, so what you just described is yes, it, it, those are definitely significant um, transformational experiences that we experience as part of our human development and, and we're going to cross our lives. Um, and as I hone in on intentional transformational experiences, uh, th these are situations where you place yourself in, in conditions um, or, or um, yeah, you place yourself in conditions that forces um, an openness to occur, a vulnerability to occur that kind of gives birth to a new level of consciousness, right? So we, you know, as part of, part of our development, we have a particular perspective um, that we grow up through 
through the lens of the most influential people in our lives, our parents, our coaches, our, you know, our older siblings, all of their perspective that is placed on us. And as we, we grow up, we, we tend to come to a realization of who we are and who we intend to be. And as we look to be intentional around our development, uh, we put ourselves in a, in a situation um, or situations that causes a, uh, a kind of a tension within. Um, and it's, and that new level of consciousness is really a, a dramatic shift in your awareness and your way of being. Not just doing, but a way of being. Got it, got it. Following you there. Uh, I think it's it's really impactful uh, as you kind of explain that. And I think what I'm beginning to just to understand there is like, you know, getting fired also something I've experienced. I think a lot of people can identify with that. And that's pretty transformative. And it can put you in a state where your perspective initially is, man, what went wrong? What am I going to do? But if you embrace um, that as an opportunity, uh, you know, a lot of people say, maybe not be a door closed, but a door open, then that can be a transformational experience and an opportunity. Although that was initiated for me in my life, there's certainly times when, you know, I guess I could be looking to get a particular result and that result being denied to me or I got to take an opportunity to just look inward and say, hey, what am I might not seeing here and how can I force a transformation in my thinking and be open to new learning? So, Ralph, thanks so much for sharing that with us. Hey, I want to talk just for a moment here about um, maybe some advice that you could have for someone. I mean, clearly you've done a lot with your life, um, running your own company, authored your own book. Uh, there's a lot of people that listen to this podcast that I think are all going through transformative experiences. And in some cases, you know, I just had a phone call this morning with a gentleman named Todd who said, hey, Court, what you're doing is really, really resonating with me. And I think I'm now beginning to understand what fulfillment looks in my life. And I think that means I want to start to do my own thing, right? So there's a lot of people out there, I think, that have this, uh, this dream to be entrepreneurial. So, you know, since you've had success here, could you offer up, uh, you know, one or two or three, as many as you'd want to rattle off here for us of, of things or actions or focal points that you could share with our listeners uh, in regards to, you know, I'm looking to, 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 or I'm in the process of starting my own company, or I'm considering making the jump and starting my own company. Any advice for them that you might have, Ralph? Would you share? Oh, certainly, Corey. Oh man, that that's a beautiful story that you uh, you explained, of Todd. Um, I, I think it's awesome when people come to a point of of uh, awareness and uh, and recognition of where they really want to take their life. Um, in a, again, in an intentional fashion. You know, so for me, you know, aspiring entrepreneurs, you know, I guess three big takeaways that I would, I would give, right? The first is, you know, whatever your craft is, you know, whatever your product is, your, your technology, your tool, whatever it is that you're, you know, you're looking to sell to the marketplace. Um, the, the key thing is, number one, is to become an expert at marketing. You know, no matter what you have, and no matter how good it is, no matter if it's the best of the best of the best, uh, certainly um, if no one knows about it, then it cannot be uh, fulfilling, right? It cannot be fulfilled. You can't get it out there to the market. 
So you have to be good at marketing. You know, you could be the best in the thing, um, your, your craft, but if you're not good at marketing, then no one can benefit from all of the value that you bring to the table. Uh, the second, I would, I would say, is, you know, continue, of course, to learn, to network, and contribute to a community. And what I've found is that, uh, you know, they'll, people will plug into networks and, you know, they'll, they'll be like leeches. Um, and they'll just suck from the network and not really contribute back to the network. It is so pivotal to contribute back to the community um, that you that are of like-minded individuals who are trying to go in the same vein that you are. You know, it's not a competition as much as it is um, helping each other up. And there's there's certainly enough business to go around, um, and there's there shouldn't be. And that's really a shift in thinking, right? Um, because if you see someone who's doing something similar to you, has a similar product as you, you know, the, the first thought that often comes to mind is, is a threat. You know, that person or that company is a threat. Really, what that person or that company is, is, um, is a partner. And that person is a, someone that you can connect with and build together. So that's a perspective shift that um, definitely want to, I would suggest, holding on to and, and definitely building a community around your entrepreneurial activities. Last one, um, number number three, if you would, would be don't overbuild your business, trying to build your business. I'll say that one again, because I think it's critically important. Don't overbuild your business, trying to build your business. Far too often in, in conversations and, and uh, in, in my observation, we have people who um, are you know, starting off the entrepreneurial game and they feel like, um, and I'll give an extreme example, they feel like they need the office space, they need the, the, the desk, the table, the chairs, the lights, they need the, the 1-800 number, they need all of these things, and they incur such a debt and a cost when there, there wasn't a need for those things in the beginning. You know, figure out what exactly you need in order to start generating your first dollar um, and have the bare bone, bare minimum, bootstrap. Uh, level of uh, activity that you have in your business and start generating business. Start exchanging that value uh, for dollars and start making an impact in the, in the, uh, in the community, in the marketplace, uh, so that as you build your business, then you can start adding on the things that are necessary uh, to grow your business. Hey, buddy, what incredible knowledge you just dropped there for us. And let me just review and brief you back on the, ma the three major themes that I heard from you when you have this advice for inspiring entrepreneurs. Number one, become an expert marketer. And I could say that that's very well said. Uh, it was a challenge for me, certainly. Um, I think there's a competency and a confidence gap. You have to bridge rapidly to do that. But again, number one, become an expert marketer. Number two, from Ralph here, learn, network, and continue tribute to a community. And as you said that, and you went through this beautiful story, I thought about two points. I thought about the point that a guest offered up a few episodes ago when he said, there's givers and there's takers in this world. So I think what you're doing is a call to action to be a giver and to contribute to the community because you didn't say this, but it's very likely that through those actions, there's a giving back that you receive as part of that community. Um, and I really love the fact that you said, hey, change your perspective, threats to partners. Uh, number three, uh, don't overbuild your business trying to build your business. 
So Ralph, thanks so much for sharing those three points. I think people will really latch on to those as we move forward here. Let's continue in this conversation and let's continue and now transition a bit into specifically high performance. You know, this is high performance pathways. Uh, it's crystal clear to me. Uh, what I've learned from you is that as you reflect on your life, as I reflect and explore on your life and how you've served, you've performed at an incredibly high level. I mean, you were born and raised in the U.S. Virgin Islands, came over to the States for college, graduated from George Mason University. You're an executive at IBM. You founded and operate your own company. You wrote and published a book. Um, heck, you've created and hosted your own podcast called Mind Culture. And you're in service as a board member for Double Portion Spirit Ministries International. Wow, man, how the heck did you have time to write a book with all that going on? I mean, that's impressive, Ralph. And so, you know, I'm just super curious, uh, you know, how is it that you would define high performance in your life because clearly you've been operating at a high performing level. Hey, I appreciate that court. Um, you know, I remember having a conversation with my cousin uh, one time and he asked the same question in, in one sense. And he was like, man, how are you doing all of this? And he, he rattled off everything that I was doing or what he knew I was doing at the time. And, you know, I, it, it put me in a position where I had to be reflective. I'm not certain wasn't reflective back then, but, you know, I, my response to him was, you know, I, I, I really put myself in a position where there is no other way, right? So, you know, when we have options on the table, then we have uh, choices to choose from. Now, what I did was that I simply took choices off the table. And um, so one choice that can easily be made when you have a lot of these activities going on is to either, you know, give in, quit, and, um, you know, give up on certain situations or certain activities. And these activities are important to me. Um, so I decided uh, that I was going to take the choices off of the table and say, hey, no more. Right. So these things are important to me. I'm going to create the necessary conditions in my life in order to be able to support these, uh, these things that are important. And that happens with having conversations. Right. So I have a wife and two beautiful kids and, you know, I, I can't be able to operate at such a high level of um, high performance. Um, if I not, if I don't have those conversations to say, you know, for this period of time, this is what I need your support with. So having those conversations is, is key. And if I could rattle through a few more, um, Court, it's having the conversations um, to be able to identify what's important uh, for you and, and be able to support those things that are important. Um, it's having a conviction um, of knowing what's important and holding on to those things uh, regardless of what's going on in your life um, because you understand the importance of those things and how to move those things forward. It's being consistent, um, being able to be consistent in the things that you've defined to be important and moving on in the action steps uh, to be able to realize its value, uh, not only for yourself, but for the community that's around you. Um, being committed, uh, having a commitment um, to holding yourself accountable um, to the realization of those things. And, and at, at, an, at, at the end of the day, excuse me, it's having a compassion. You know, just having a compassion and a love for the things that you're doing. And, and if, you're, if you're realizing the things that are important to you, certainly there should be a connection to some compassion, some love 
um, that you are enjoying the things that you do. If not, you got to really have a, a time of reflection on wondering if those things are really important um, or those things are just commonplace in your life and, and you're, just out, you're just doing it out of habit. So I would, I would say, you know, have the conversations, um, you know, as you have your support system with you. Compassion, commitment, consistency, and certainly conviction um, in understanding the important things and moving those stuff out. Incredible, man. I can't believe this. I think I'm going to take an initiative here and I'm going to coin this, the Ralph Plaskett high performance definition. We're going to call it C5, my friend. Now there's C4 out there. All my freaking weightlifters know where I'm coming from. It was a drink you used to take to get jacked up to go into the weight room. And Ralph's got me jacked up here on C5 as we talk about high performance. C5, Ralph, is have conversations, a conviction, be consistent, committed, and compassion. That's the path to high performance in your life. I love it, man. C5, Ralph Plaskett, dropping the knowledge for us here. Hey, man, uh, let's talk a little bit in here about some habits that you may have created. And, and, you, and there may be some habits you just explained to us here as you define high performance for us. But I'm still curious about what those might be in your life. I mean, as an executive at IBM, as a business owner, as an author, what two to five habits, if you have them, right? could you share with the audience here that you've adopted uh, to perform incredibly high in your work? Oh man, I, I love this court, right? So we can start peeling back the onions on this. And, and like I said, I'm a, I'm a big nerd around all of this stuff. So I am more than happy to kind of break this down, right? So, you know, for me, it's, it's really the things that are intangible are often not uh, looked at as valuable, right? You know, so at, at the service level, we don't think, um, you know, we don't put enough stock in, in many things that are intangible until we lose, lose them um, and therefore we, we gain, they gain value to us. But so, so my list kind of comprises a lot of those things. Um, but, you know, if we really have the opportunity to take a look at them, they are tremendously valuable in, um, how we shape out high performance and the execution of activities and whatnot. So the first for me would be, you know, a positive outlook. I can't tell you the difference in feeling, the difference in being um, with a negative outlook versus a positive outlook, right? When you're, when you're not feeling well, when you're depressed, when you, when you have a lot of worry on your shoulders, you, you approach situations completely different than when you have a joyful, energized, a fully expressive outlook on life. So having a positive outlook is critically important to, to develop in and further in high performance, right? Self-awareness, critically important um, to, you know, and I'll, I'm going to say all of these are critically important, but certainly self-awareness, um, having an awareness of self and your trigger points, what makes you happy, what makes you sad, how are you able to best operate in a particular environment, what environment causes you to, uh, to be the most productive, uh, the most capable, so on and so forth. So having that self-awareness is critically um, important. Uh, being a team player, you know, where uh, we are not um, an army of one, right, but we are a, a society, we are human species, rather, that are, um, we're communal. We need to be together in order to find the most value in our uh, existence, right? So being a team player, support uh, the, the brother and sister to your left and right, 
um, because in supporting of those individuals, not only does it give you a self-gratification, but it also gives you um, an ability to build that community we talked about earlier. Um, and if I, if I may, the last one is being what I call an environmental alchemist, right? And that's creating and shaping an environment that allows you and, and your team or whomever to um, be able to operate at the utmost potential, right? So that's creating the situation, the space that allows you to, to have the best um, performance, to have the best productivity, to have the best uh, creativity that's coming out and, and really doing so by, um, by creating those conditions that kind of foster those things to happen. Wonderful, Ralph. Uh, thank you so much for sharing that, man. Let me, let me just recount what you said when you talk about, you know, the, the top four habits that you've embraced in your life that have allowed you to perform at such a high level and all the work that you've done. Number one, positive outlook. Got to have it. We got to be optimistic. In the worst task that we're asked to do and perform, I challenge people to always, you can find something there to be excited about. So positive outlook for Ralph is number one. Number two, self-awareness. I mean, this is that, this is that deepening growth, my friend, is it not? You know, and I think in your words, what you said is you've got to understand what your triggers are so you can guard against those as you perform. And you didn't mention this, but I want to throw it in here because I'm so fired up about this idea of self-awareness. Strengths, right? What am I really good at? And, and I'm a strengths-based coach, and so, you know, I'm less concerned about how to rehabilitate areas of underperformance, and I'm more concerned about why not just have a self-awareness explosion and, and figure out what are you really good at and set the conditions to continue to chase those things in your life, in your career that you're incredibly good at, and, and be aware that maybe you're trying to do something that, that you just don't have the unique talents to do well. So then make a pivot. So number two for Ralph was self-awareness. Number three, be a team player, self-explanatory. And number four is brand new for me. I love the way you've kind of outlined this. Be an environmental alchemist. I just love saying that word, alchemist. It's incredible. And I think what you're talking about there, my takeaway was establish an organizational culture to whatever size team that you're a part of, right? And, and recognize folks at an individual level within that culture so they can thrive. So Ralph, thank you so much for sharing those four things with us, my friend. Hey, you've had a lot of experience as a manager. Um, you've certainly been in organizations that have been around a ton of managers. And I have a strong following here on high performance pathways of managers or aspiring individual contributors that want to transition well into management. So I want to talk about management together for a moment. And my curiosity for you is, you know, what have you observed from high performing managers to date in your career? Or what, what, what habits have you actually used in your work to be a high-performing manager? So, so that's my question. And let me just park that for a moment because I, I do also want to differentiate management and leadership. And just real quickly, I, I think that there's a lot of syn synonyms in this space, and even in our coaching space, between management and leadership. And I can't tell you how many articles I read out there where I see the word leadership in the header, and when I read it, they're talking about management. In my, in my opinion, they're not talking about leadership. So leadership for me is defined simply in one word, influence. Management, however, is defined for me as supervision of people, projects, in order to accomplish tasks, missions, and assignments. So, Ralph, with that sort of a foothold, 
to be a high-performing manager, I believe you certainly have to also be an effective leader. You have to effectively influence. So could you just share with us any habits that you go to on a daily basis to manage or ones you've observed from others that are managing at a high level? Oh, yeah, certainly, Court. Man, I, you know, I'm in deep alignment with you there on the distinction between um, managers and leaders, right? And, you know, it's, it's my hope that we can see all um, managers um, of people to be leaders themselves and in the way that they, um, they manage their people. You know, so for me, you know, Court, what I think is critically important to, for managers are an ability to foster certain conditions um, in their teams, right? So we've all had an experience or know of someone who's had an experience of the micromanager, uh, the one who might as well have done the task for you because, you know, they, they dictate the very da- uh, detail um, that they want to see as an outcome of the, of the task. And, and that's critically demoralizing. Um, for for a person um, at, or for a team, primarily because we are creative individuals. We're, we're, as human beings, we, we are creative, and we have more capacity than we often realize uh, to be able to come up with a solution for things. So when a solution is dictated upon us, that, is, uh, that causes um, a lot of morality issues around you know, identity and purpose and, and focus, um, in, in the workplace as well as in, in a team or in an individual basis. So for me, uh, the, the conditions that the manager has to create or, or foster is autonomy. Autonomy is critically important, right? You know, the, you know, in certain conditions, in certain environments, in certain kind of industries, you can give full autonomy uh, for, for one reason or another. But the more autonomy that you can place within the individual and in the team um, is the more creativity that you're going to see come up and the solutions that are going to be developed that would have never, ever occurred uh, should they have been constrained and not have the autonomy. Individual and team purpose would be the second one. Um, Having a purpose, having a clarity of understanding is critically important, not only in a team context, but also as the individual contributor, how is this individual contributor um, contributing to the overall team? How is the team contributing to the organization? How is the organization contributing to society, right? And the manager is the one that's really intended on how to create that or, or communicate that purpose and what they are intended to do and allow then the individual and the teams to then make sense of that reality um, through autonomy. Um, coachability, definitely a third one there. Um, so many times I've seen and uh, it, have experienced people who are not uh, coachable, right? They, it's their way or the highway. They know exactly how to do it. Uh, they are the quote-unquote expert. Um, and in doing so, they have closed themselves off uh, to being coachable. Um, and the last one I would say is a focused outlook. Uh, we need to be able to see beyond the horizon. You know, not necessarily focus on the horizon because so many factors change uh, what's going to be beyond that horizon, but be able to have that strategic outlook and be able to help the team and the individual move towards a particular direction um, in order to accomplish the greater overall purpose and mission um, of the team or the individual. 
Um, those, those four aspects, autonomy, individual, and team purpose, coachability, and a focus outlook is, for me, the, the critical elements of, uh, of a manager fostering high-performing teams. I love it, man. And I'm not even going to kind of review this one because you did a, such a great job as closing it out on those top four things. But what I do want to come back to is what you what you led with here and what, what I believe to be is maybe even a call to action uh, for all of our managers that are listening right now to this this episode. You know, think for a moment, just in your own mind, how would you grade out your ability to foster the appropriate conditions in your team? to perform at a high level, you know? So, so just sit with that thought for a second and, and consider where you're at. And if you're struggling at all, hey, let's draw upon one of four things that Ralph said. Have you created an autonomous environment? Have you communicated effectively to the individual and to the team the purpose? Are you, in fact, as the manager, coachable? And, you know, do you think strategically? Uh, you know, and for me, that is, hey, what's coming next? Get the team empowered, get the team operating, get them knocking it out, and then direct your focus to what's happening next. So, Ralph, those were incredible, man. I appreciate those, and I know that the folks listening right now do as well. Let's talk about the team for a second, and, and I think you might have alluded to this with some of the stuff you've, you shared with us already here about high performance, but I'm really interested in the high-performing teams you found yourself in as a member or as a manager. Uh, so, are there any habits that you could also offer up that you've observed and you've tried to replicate to create the conditions for a team to perform at a very high level? Yes, I'll draw on some of the things that I've said um, a, a little bit earlier on court. Really, it's, you know, man, I think the military does an awesome, fantastic job at um, team development, right? And, and for, for more reasons than not, the conditions to be able to have a high-performing team under the most stressful conditions um, and, and events. So, you know, we can draw from there. And one thing that comes to mind, you know, I have, I have not served in the military, but I've been around the military all my life. My brother um, grew up in the Army. Um, I supported uh, DOD, Department of Defense, um, clients for the better part of my career. And what I've come to, to learn and appreciate is under certain conditions or under any condition, the critical thing that's important is morale. And if you can't create the conditions where you're driving consistent morale, you know, as, as managers or high-performing managers, we're asking high-performing teams to operate at such a, um, a, a, a level of, of focus and intent um, to be able to produce high-quality content or, or, or products and services um, to be able to support under conditions of stress um, and or create conditions of stress to be able to produce whatever that team produces. So, you know, under those conditions, you know, certainly we have to focus on the team's morale and being able to create the environment, as we're talking about being an environmental alchemist create an environment that the team can have fun and enjoy what they're doing and, and be able to understand when they're at the tipping point of taking on too much stress or too much, um, too much work even. Um, and, and those kind of conditions 
that aren't supportive of a high-performing team, right? We can, we can put too much on the team because the team is being so good that we think that they can handle even more. Um, but it's, as, a, as a manager, it's really understanding what it is, how much can the team bear, and, um, how much, and how do I support the morale of the team to be able for them to move forward? Really, as, as a manager and as, as a team, is really protecting the team to do what they do. Right. So often uh, in many situations that I've seen where the team is distracted with so many things. Right. One of the things that, you know, we can find in the, in, in the workplace often are meetings. You know, we have meetings for meetings about meetings and we have team members or the entire team in these meetings when often, you know, there isn't a need for the entire team or any of the team, frankly, to be in those meetings. Um, and that's just really distracting the team. So as, the, as a high-performing manager, um, supporting a high-performing team is really protecting the team uh, as well as the morale of the team. So protecting the team so that they can focus on what they're doing. Hey, I love it, man. Incredibly well said. Offering up here for us and everyone listening that morale for, for Ralph is the most important aspect uh, to deliver on for a team to perform at a high level. And, and, and a great way to do that, that I think you see more times than not uh, done well, um, is, is how does that manager protect the team to do what they can do? Thanks for sharing that. Ralph, I mean, you are certainly someone that um, is, is a self-awareness expert, right? I mean, it's kind of what you do. Uh, it certainly is part of uh, one of the, the portions of, of, of how you define um, you know, high performance in your life. And so I want to talk a little bit now about really the, the blind spot or the other side of performing at a high level. And it's this idea of, you know, what bad habits have you discovered, you know, in your life that over time you said, you know what, I got to be really mindful of this thing and, and work not to have that show up in my work. Because when it does, when I allow these things to happen, we'll call them pitfalls, or maybe we'll call them bad habits. Um, it degrades your ability to perform at a high level. And I want to talk really about you as the individual um, and then at the team collective. So if we could just kind of isolate and start with in your own life as an individual, is there any bad habits or pitfalls that you fell victim to that now you work hard to avoid? And when you do, you can achieve that high performance? in your work? Yeah, tons, Court, tons. Uh, tons <laughs> of bad habits. Aren't, aren't <laughs> you they know, all right? <laughs> you know, try to weed them out as, as much as I can. You know, I think that's a forever thing um, as we, we come, become more self-aware um, of our, our um, the good, the bad, and the ugly, as I like to say. And we focus on weeding out the bad and the ugly and fostering more of that good um, so that, uh, you know, we can, we can operate at those high-performance levels. You know, for me, you know, Cord, what, what really focused, you know, I've, I've focused on or, or the bad habits that, you know, I can, that comes to mind. For me, it's, you know, not focusing on well-being. You know, I'm bad at that. I, or I used to be bad at that. I'm very more intentional about it today. And that, uh, and what I mean by well-being is, is really, you know, taking a whole, uh, whole view of, of self, um, and not just focusing on the mental or the cognitive, but really focusing on the physical and the emotional as well. 
You know, I was good in the emotional space of well-being. I was good on the cognitive space and well-being. But I allowed, um, because I had such focus on those other two areas, I allowed um, my physical um, space and kind of my mental health, if you would, space of uh, well-being to kind of go to the wayside, right? So focusing on, on you know, being consistent and working out. Um, can be inconsistent on eating well, right? Nutrition, not just picking up any old thing um, to be able to, uh, to, to feed the system, um, but really being intentional on the food that I'm taking in and how it's feeding my system uh, called the body, right? So not focusing on well-being uh, was a pitfall for me that I am hugely much more intentional about today. Um, the second being lack of active inquiry. You know, I'm, I'm a person that, you know, I, I, uh, I hear what needs to be done, I understand what needs to be done, and I've got into it. Now, I'm not asking, you know, questions, not, you know, getting further clarity, um, and not having those, those, asking those further questions and not having enough clarity um, can allow one to go off course, right? So I've, I've seen that in myself on, on what I need to do in order to stay on course and stay at the direction that's needed um, so that I can get to the destination that much more efficient. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm, I'm doing things of threes at this point. Uh, but the third one would be energy management, right? So I would burn the midnight oil. I wouldn't have no appreciation for breaks during the day. I, you know, I wouldn't be efficient in task switching. So what I did was that I was just, I was just running myself ragged you know, and not having an appreciation for energy ma management, you know, having an understanding of, you know, what's the optimal amount of sleep that I need in order to function during my waking hours. Um, that not, uh, you know, I, I didn't have the appropriate breaks throughout the day. I would just go, go, and go. Um, and then wonder why at the end of the day I'm so drained. I don't have the necessary energy to engage with my family, my friends, and certainly my kids. Um, and task with switching, you know, in this knowledge work that we do or that I do, uh, it's such, uh, you know, we, we don't consider the, the, uh, the task that is on the brain to go between um, activities, between um, events, between tasks that are different in nature. Um, so having that awareness and saying, okay, you know, I'm switching to another task, I'm switching to another activity, you know, what do I need to do in order to best be um, functional, best operate in that, this new task, right? What kind of feeling do I want to have when I'm going into this space? What kind of energy am, am I trying to bring into this space? You know, how can I get the most out of it? Wonderful and incredibly well said. And, and I think what I heard from you there is that, you know, when you, when you have this awareness that, there's these pitfalls or habits that that you don't make sure that you include in the way you execute the day. Those are the things that degrade your high performance. And I think what I'm hearing from you is, is you certainly said that I have to be focused on my well-being. I cannot neglect my well-being. If I do, I can't perform at a high level. I have to be mindful of how I manage my energy. If I don't manage my energy well, I'm not going to perform at the level that I need to. And then I think this awareness of, of how you're feeling. You talked a little bit about emotions there and how that drives action. Don't know that you said emotions specifically. So it's my word, not yours. But you certainly said that 
that word feeling and having that awareness. And if you, if you don't find yourself that you're in tune to that, you cannot perform at that high level. So thank you so much for sharing those three things. And I just want to offer up, you know, for the listeners here, and I know we can't unpack this in its entirety in this particular podcast together, but if people are curious about, well, what are we talking about, Court, when we said well-being? right? Because it's a word out there almost like high performance. And that's why I define it because it's so important. Almost like leadership that can be really confusing. Well-being. What do we mean? Hey, if you've got an interest, here's what I encourage you to do to explore your well-being. Pick up the book, Start Here, Mastering the Lifelong Habit of Well-Being period. It's an incredible book. It was part of my coaching um, protocol. Uh, it was part of a module that I was schooled on why I got my leadership coaching certification. And let me just leave you with what, I mean, this book introduced nine habits that you should introduce to your life at, at a particular frequency to have your well-being at a high level. And I'm just going to read these off for you. Number one, movement, right? Number two, meditation. Number three, inquiry. And Ralph talked about this when he, when he explained just moments ago about saying things to avoid, if he's not in, inquiring into himself, uh, he won't perform at a high level. Number three, presence, not Christmas presence here. We're talking about physical presence in conversation, gratitude, compassion, contribution, relationships, and engagement. And this book explores all nine of those practices and has a framework in which you can introduce that to your life if you don't. And they argue very successfully because I've introduced a lot of these to my life and to the lives of the clients that I serve, this is a path for high-performing well-being in your life. So, Ralph, thanks for sharing that. Hey, man, do you have anything else you wanted to offer on that? Did I trigger any, anything? You know, I'll echo that book as well, uh, Court. You know, that's an amazing book and lays out a, a, a very tactical framework that one can pick up and start running with. Um, and it lays out all of, like you said, they argued the points very well on the, the, uh, the need for well-being, the focus on well-being. Um, and I'm an I'm a advocate of that book and, and its results. Um, certainly, I have benefited from it uh, tremendously. Awesome. Thanks, friend. Well, really, I think I just got one more question I wanted to work through here, Ralph. And, and you know, and it's about, you know, taking this a step further together here. And is there anything just that you could share with our listeners to to make Ralph Plaskett come a bit more to life for them on this episode. Uh, not that you haven't done an incredible job of doing that so far, but it's about, can, can we have an insight to, to an actual experience, right? Or an event, in some case, an event or an experience, a project where you performed at an incredibly high level. Could you walk us through that and just share with us maybe uh, the lessons learned that you gathered from that experience and why it was such a great memory for you? Yeah, I won't say it's a great memory. <laughs> uh, at least not this one that I have that, that's in mind. Um, you know, what, what comes to mind is, is uh, you know, I recently and recently now, it's probably in the last two years or so, um, I recently moved from the D.C. metropolitan area down to Raleigh, North Carolina, and uh, in that move, um, it was really a move of faith, right? So there was, a, there was, and I say that to say that I didn't have a job. Um, I, I moved my entire family, my beautiful wife and two kids um, from the D.C. metropolitan area where we had jobs, we had um, support systems, um, to a location where we had no jobs and no support systems. We had, 
We knew no one in, uh, in Raleigh, North Carolina. And uh, we bought a house, moved the entire family, and I had no job. So for six months, um, I had to commute between um, Raleigh and D.C. week after week after week. No and, way. Are you um, kidding me? Yeah. I and moved I, Raleigh to D.C., three-and-a-half-hour drive. Brother, can I tell you a hurt? <laughs> we, can stop, we can stop the story right now. Uh, and this is just a, a, a story about grit and perseverance. Of course, I'm only kidding. But, hey, man, what a heck of a commute you signed up for there. Please, brother, continue. And, and you know what's the worst of it, Corey? I was still doing, you know, I had, you know, supportive um, you know, people in my job up in the D.C. area. So that, that definitely helped. Right. And, and that has a testament to say about the uh, support system. Not only I had my support system on my job or my community there in the D.C. metropolitan area, but I also had the support system here at home uh, with my wife and my kids. But, uh, I, you know, I was still running you know, 40 hour weeks, which was really like 50 hour weeks um, in addition to the commuting um, and all of those activities that you talked about um, at er earlier part of this episode. So I was balancing all of that at the same time. And, you know, again, what, what came to mind during that need for me to do that was one of focus on the intended outcome. You know, the purpose of the move was really to create the conditions uh, for uh, me to be able to focus on the family, for us to have a, a different type of lifestyle that we were looking for to enjoy ourselves as a family unit. Um, so that was, I was focused on that outcome, and that's what helped me kind of walk through uh, those six months of commuting. Um, and, and then the, the second part was being very intentional about my activities. I knew exactly what I needed to do when I was leaving home and how I was going to do it in order that I can stay focused on achieving the value and the outcome of that. So be it, you know, at work or be it at, uh, in my coaching practice. Uh, be it in the extracurricular uh, volunteer activities that I had at a time and balancing those things as well as being, you know, the supportive husband and, and father, father, excuse me, um, that, you know, my family demanded of me, right? You know, it's, it's uh, you know, I initiated the move. Um, I, you know, called for us to, to go ahead and move out of uh, the D.C. metropolitan area. Um, and, you know, they, I couldn't be absent for six months, right? So I still needed to be um, in their lives and active and engaging. Um, and then the, the last one really core is what held it all together was prayers right? and, and being able to be, you know, rely on the greater higher power, knowing that, uh, you know, he had my back and uh, that it would all pan out to be um, exactly as you know, he intended. And, and I'll say at the, at the end of that, those six months, you know, things turned around a, a 180. You know, I went from being on the road all the time to having the flexibility uh, to work out of my home, um, you know, for the, uh, a normal 40-day, 40 um, 40-hour work week, right? So I'm uh, truly, you know, blessed and fortunate. But the, the lessons learned here is really um, be focused, intentional, and really know that, uh, you know, things are going to work out uh, for your benefit. You know, coming, one of the things that I wish if I could do, if I had to do it all over again, what I would have done differently was to realize the need for rest and recharge. Mm. Um, I, I didn't allow myself the rest and recharge. You know, we talked about energy management before and well-being. 
Um, I didn't allow that to happen. I went to, you know, full force for those six months um, and it took a toll on me. And, but uh, if I were to do it all over again, certainly rest and recharge would be, you know, part of those lessons learned. What a wonderful story about how you really embraced optimism in a period of time, specifically when we're talking about the commute and the hours you had to put in um, and how that optimistic output uh, or outlook was firmly grounded on a focused plan. Um, and you're very intentional in what you did. So, Ralph, thank you so much for sharing that with our folks. Hey, my friend, I, I think that's a wrap for us here uh, on episode five. And uh, we're super excited that you're here and spent this time with us like we always do. We want to make sure we offer you this opportunity to, to break us on out and get us into our day. Uh, so, Ralph, um, I want to you know, allow you to do that here. Put your signature stamp here on this episode. And let me just walk through real briefly um, what this looks like. This is very much a tradition here for High Performance Pathways. And so we call it the breakdown. So I will say breakdown on three. And then I will say the words one, two, three. And on the number three, once you hear that, that's your invitation to execute three claps and then speak the words boom shakalaka. Okay, and then you can follow up that breakout with anything that you are moved to in that moment, although nothing else, my friend, is required. So, Ralph, I know it's a lot to take in, my friend. Is anything there confusing? Are you ready to hit this? No, I'm loving it. Let's do it. All right, my friend. All right, here we go. Ralph Plaskett breaking us out here for Episode 5 of High Performance Pathways. Ralph, thank you so much, my friend. Give it to us. Break down on three, my friend. One, two, three. Boom shakalaka. Let's make it happen. I love it, man. I love it. That's boom shakalaka coming from us loud and clear. Ralph Plaskett, let's make it happen. So, hey, all of y'all out there, go make it happen in your life in whatever way you need to get that done. To connect with Ralph, please visit his website at plasketinstitute.org or his LinkedIn page, Ralph Plastic ACC. And that's spelled P-L-A-S-K-E-T-T. You can find this episode and more episodes of High Performance Pathways at my website, www com or on Apple Podcast and on Spotify listed as High Performance Pathways. Now get out there and chase high performance in your life.